Hello and welcome to another episode of Locked on Wolves. Today on the show, it's all things Rudy Gobert. Previewing Rudy Gobert's season by looking back at his first year in Minnesota, what went right, what went wrong, and what needs to change in year two of Rudy in a Wolves uniform. It's all coming on the show. Welcome in. You are Locked on Wolves. You are Locked on Timberwolves. Your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome in to the Lockdown Wolves podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Lockdown Wolves. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Lockdown. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Lockdown to get started. Happy Thursday, everybody, and a big thank you for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, this show is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms. Wherever you like to listen to podcasts, you can find Lockdown Wolves. You can also watch on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV. And you can follow on X at B Beacon and at Locked on T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. Today, we're back to player previews. We have three players remaining today. It's Rudy Gobert. Friday will be Carl Anthony Towns, and Monday will be, well, actually, probably Tuesday will be Anthony Edwards. There's a preseason game Saturday, Wolves-Knicks from Madison Square Garden, so we'll do a post-game pod of sorts on Monday. So we'll save Ant all the way until Tuesday, but today it's all things Rudy, and this is a, a sticky topic, not because it's polarizing. I think from my perspective, I think everybody kind of agrees, and I think Rudy would say this too, that it was a fairly disappointing first season in Minnesota for Rudy Gobert. Um, going all the way back to the trade last July, um, there have obviously been question marks. We don't need to rehash the whole thing. But this this um, double center approach for the Wolves that we never really got to see last year because of the Carl Anthony Towns, I shouldn't say never, but very sparingly got to see. And I think, I think it is important to kind of set the stage here. Um, Cat last preseason was sick, right? He had he had an illness. He lost 25, 30 pounds, barely played in the preseason, barely played in training camp. Rudy was coming off of a Eurobasket performance where he played heavily. He was a high-usage player for Team France. Neither player was in actual game shape in training camp or practiced regularly. And Chris Finch at one point bemoaned this to the media, a couple, a couple different points, I believe, where he was basically like, hey, once the season starts, our actual practice time is... Very limited, right? We're talking shoot-arounds and the occasional you know, consecutive days off where you might get a real practice in there. And then Carl Anthony Towns, 21 games in, strains his calf severely. He ends up missing 52 consecutive games. And the two only play, I think, 28 regular season games together. I think Rudy missed one game maybe when Cat was available. Um, so like 28 regular season games, one play-in game, because remember Rudy was suspended for the first play-in game. And then, you know, five playoff games. That was that was the extent of Cat and Rudy together last year. So it's hardly fair to call this a truly kind of borne out experiment, right? The trick is, is that the clock's ticking, right? Jane McDaniels is doing extension. Rudy Gobert already has a max. Carl Anthony Towns has a super max. Anthony Edwards has the rookie max extension. Jane McDaniels is going to get something close to the max, especially in light of Devin Vassell's contract extension he signed this last week. Jaden McDaniels is almost certainly going to get more than that. So I think I think to frame the Rudy 
preview by looking back at last year. It's important to, to note this is a do or die. I don't even want to say season. I would, This sounds dramatic, but I would say like the next four months in terms of the Wolves as currently constructed and Tim Connolly, it's not all his doing, but he helped kind of put the Wolves in this spot where if this team's floundering, say it's around 500 at the trade deadline, I mean, what, what are you going to do? You have to extend Jaden McDaniels. You're not going to trade Anthony Edwards. So it's either trying to trade Rudy Gobert, which would be hard to do, or it's trade Carl Anthony Towns, which you're probably not going to quite get requisite value there either. And he's obviously, at the moment, I would say the best all-around offensive player in terms of efficiency and what he's able to do on this roster. So what do you do? If if the Wolves are doing are having a great year at the deadline, you can at least kick that can until the offseason and then you know cross that bridge then. Um but all that to say, the Wolves have to see some rapid success this season with Rudy and Kat. They're very much under pressure to do that. Now, when it comes to Rudy Gobert, his final season in Utah, he had career highs. He led the league in total rebound rate. He grabbed 25% of all available rebounds. Both sides of the four combined went on the floor with Utah a couple of years ago. Over 36% of total available defensive rebounds. He led the league in true shooting percentage at 73.2%. If you're not familiar, true shooting is uh, basically it, it, it accounts for not just field goals, but the value of, uh, value of field goals and also free throws. So three-pointers, two-pointers, and free throws all together um, and, and you know, about weights it based on those shots. And Rudy was 73.2% a couple of years ago in Utah. Last season, Rudy Gobert had his lowest true shooting percentage in six seasons. He had his lowest defensive rebound rate in six seasons. He had his lowest total rebound rate in six seasons. That's going back to his pre-All-Star you know, pre Rudy Gobert when he was just known as the Stifle Tower and Andrew Wiggins was dunking on him. You know, like that, that version of Rudy Gobert before he became a true superstar, which was about four seasons ago, four or five seasons ago. He made three consecutive All-Star teams. He had a couple of uh, Defensive Player of the Year awards, made a couple of All-NBA teams, and then last year gets traded to Minnesota and turns in his worst all-around campaign in six years. And the question is, how much of that is to do with him turning 30? How much of it is it to do with the change of scenery? And then also playing with Carl Anthony Towns, but then again, what, three or uh, two-thirds of his games were played without Carl Anthony Towns, right? So I want to dig a little bit deeper into some of the peripheral numbers, the on-off numbers, uh, and try and kind of figure out where Rudy stumbled the most last season. I think if I could summarize it, and let's start, let's, I guess, begin or continue the introduction here. Rudy was still phenomenal defensively last year. I, I don't even think phenomenal is really too, um, too crazy of a word either. He was very, 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 very good defensively last season. Uh, B-Ball Index, our friends at B-Ball Index, have him as still as an A-plus defensive impact. Uh, ESPN Real Plus Minus, which is my favorite kind of catch-all statistic in terms of defensive Real Plus Minus. Rudy was still number two among centers at 7.72, trailing only Bam Adebayo. The difference is he was so good the year before by any measure that the bar was way up here, like way beyond... Um, Anything like he was the best defensive player in the year uh, of the of, best defensive player um, uh, in the league last season, two seasons ago with Utah. Uh, there's no question about that. Last year, first year in Minnesota, he was still well above average, one of the best defenders in the league. In fact, we talked on Wednesday's show about um, 
the NBA GM survey at NBA.com, and there were still a couple of GMs that voted for him as the best all-around defender. He was still tied for second in terms of best interior defender uh, league-wide. And his reputation absolutely is part of that, but he was also genuinely impactful last year. And we'll get into some of the on-off numbers, the net rating numbers here in a moment. Um, But I think it's important to note that just because he wasn't as good as he was two years ago doesn't mean he wasn't good last year. Of course, we can't ignore the cost they... they, um, the cost that it took to acquire him, the acquisition costs, and also the fact he's still under contract for two plus a player option, so basically three more years on a max deal. So that all matters too. But in a vacuum, he was still one of the league's very best defensive players and one of the two or three best defensive centers, bar none. There's no question about it. Before last season, I talked about Rudy Gobert as a walking top 10 defense. Where did the Wolves finish by most uh, defensive rating stats? 10th in the league in defensive rating. They were good defensively last year. And Rudy Gobert was a big part of that. Yes, Jaden McDaniels was a huge part of it. Yes, Ant's improvement was part of it. Yes, the uh, uh, the midseason acquisition of Mike Conley helped. But Rudy Gobert was a, the biggest piece, literally and figuratively, of a top 10 defense for the Wolves last year. So just because he wasn't the exact same player as was in Utah the year before doesn't mean that he didn't still contribute massively on the defensive end of the floor. All right, let's uh, dig in a bit more to the peripheral numbers. Then we'll talk net rating on off and... Uh, kind of build out that entire picture. We'll do that here next. Today's episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to us by our friends over at FanDuel, our title sponsors of the show, in fact. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. Week six of the NFL this week, plenty of good bets out there. College football continues. We're actually at the midway point, believe it or not, of the NFL, of the excuse me, the college football season. Baseball playoffs, unfortunately, the Twins are out. I still had to rep the Twins today if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, the I don't know, like, I'm having a tough time letting go of it. But anyway, playoff baseball is still a ton of fun on FanDuel as well. But mids, also win totals for NBA. But the middle of football season is so much fun. The app is very easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options at FanDuel, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, a big thank you to those of you that make Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, every day is we will be covering Carl Thuddy Towns on Friday's show. All things Cat season preview. We'll look back at his uh, last year, which, of course, was one of the it was the worst of his year statistically, but, of course, injured a lot, too. So we'll break all that down on Friday's show. Wolves next Saturday, so we'll do a postgame pod Monday. Tons upcoming. We're less than two weeks away from the start of the regular season for the Wolves. Uh, so uh, make sure you're tuned in, subscribed, and uh, following wherever you listen to or watch your podcasts. All right, continuing the Rudy conversation, in terms of his, I talked about his like worst rebound rates and worst true shooting percentages in six years. All that is true. The most glaring one, though, is the block rate. And this was talked about quite a bit last season. Before this last season, there was only one season in Rudy Gobert's career that he had a block rate below 5.8%. Only one time. And it was four years ago, which was his first all-star season, the COVID shortened season, the first one, the one in which he got COVID uh, that started the, uh, the, the uh, ground the NBA season to a halt, if you will. Uh, that was a 4.8% block rate. Last year, 3.9%. By far his worst block rate in his career. Let me say that again. There was only one other year he had a block rate below 5.8%. And last year he was 3.9%, nearly two points lower than um, his previous 
I guess, with the outlier of the 4.8, right, than his previous low mark. That is um, startling. It's still a good block rate in general, but it's not good for Rudy Gobert. Um, in fact, if you look at his rim protection on B-ball index, it like it's still all good. Uh, Rudy, Rudy Gobert interior defense, rim deterrence, 87th percentile, an A-. minus. What that is is adjusted measure of how players' presence on the court impacts opponents' frequency of attacking, attacking the rim. So basically, opponents attack the rim about 3.5% less with Rudy on the floor than with him off the floor. It's still an A-. minus. Percentage of rim shots contested, 96th percentile, A+. Plus. Rim contest per 75 possessions, 94th percentile. That's an A. Blocks per 75 possessions, 88th percentile, A-. minus. The only number that's not an A- minus or greater on the list of interior defensive metrics over or interior defense metrics, I should say over at B ball index is block rate on contests. The percent of contested shots that are actually blocked by the player was only 18% last season, which was 70th percentile or a B. So surprisingly low for him. Um, and that feels a little fluky to me. That feels like, you know, maybe shots were deterred or shots were altered perhaps by Rudy's presence. He just wasn't getting a piece of them. Maybe it's because he's just a, a quarter or an eighth of a step slow or gets an eighth of a inch less vertical or, you know, reach if he's, you know, lunging to try and block a shot. Or maybe there's just a little bit of bad luck there too. We'll see if that rebounds a little bit. I, I tend to think that it will. Um, also part of it is scheme. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the the Timberwolves mostly played the same drop as what Utah had done previously. Now, D'Angelo Russell's perimeter defense obviously left something to be desired the first part of the season, and not having Cat also impacted how the Wolves played, too. Um, I'm very curious to see what the Wolves do if they continue to play, you know, put Rudy in, in um, or put Cat in pick and roll and try and play him at the level of the screener uh, early in the season, like or they, like they did last year early in the season, and have Rudy just kind of roam the back line. Or if they put play drop, put Rudy in drop, and try and hide Cat. They've tried both things. Uh, with Cat on the floor and Rudy off the floor, the Wolves will probably blitz like they did a couple of seasons ago, pre-Rudy, when they had Jared Vanderbilt and, and uh, others on the perimeter, Patrick Beverly, etc. I could see them doing that with Rudy off the floor. So Rudy on the floor, put Rudy in coverage, uh, have Jaden fight through screens and have Rudy drop, and then with, and try and hide Cat, put him on the lowest usage offensive player on the other team. Of course, what do other teams do to counter? They try and put hit cat in the action. The wolves can try and switch it, but it, it's it's a cat and mouse game, right? You can't get away with it as well in the playoffs either as you can in the regular season. But with cat on the floor and Rudy off, I think the wolves will blitz a bit more, which will in turn help generate more turnovers. But it's a bit more of a high risk, high reward defense. Hence the the middle of the pack, ultimately middle of the pack defense from two years ago, keyed by Vanderbilt, Patrick Beverly, um, etc. So I think. I, I want to spend the last segment talking about changes for the season and what, what might change uh, moving forward. But that was part of it too, was the schemes that the Wolves played defensively and Rudy's opportunities to block shots being just a little bit more limited. Um, so I think that's important to note as well. In general though, the biggest numbers that were impacted were the rebound rate, the true shooting percentage, the offensive numbers. Like if you look, ESPN real plus minus again, it's one metric, but I think it, does a really good job of kind of capturing as much as possible. Last year, his offensive real plus minus mark was a negative 2.62, according to ESPN real plus minus. Two years ago in Utah, it was just a negative 0.05. So basically a wash, which is fine when you're a plus eight DRPM, um, a plus eight defensive RPM. 
that's fine. You can get away with that, and you're the third best center in the league, according to RPM, behind only Jokic and Embiid. That was two years ago. Last year, because that defensive number was actually pretty close, it wasn't quite at the same level as I talked about, but similar. The defense or the offense was so much worse that he ended up number eight, tied for eighth, I guess, or tied for seventh, technically, in overall RPM behind Embiid, Jokic, Brooke Lopez, Nick Claxton, Kristaps Porzingis, Miles Turner, Bam Adebayo, and then Gobert. Now, I don't, you know, it's one metric. I don't know that anybody would argue that, say, uh, Nick Claxton was a better all around player than Rudy Gobert last year. You could make that argument, as RPM says, but, um, that's what this tells us because his offensive numbers were so much worse. Part of that was bad luck around the rim. I talked already about uh, just the true shooting percentage going down. And we could just talk about because Rudy, I mean, it's not like he's shooting threes, right? His field goal percentage within three feet of the rim two years ago was over 80%, which is absurdly high, even for somebody like, even for Rudy Gobert, right? Anybody shooting 80% at the rim, it's still kind of crazy. In fact, three years ago, he was 798 Two years ago, he was 80.3. You take those two years together, that's pretty much exactly two years of shooting 80% at the rim. Last year, he was 74.8%, which was his lowest mark since five years ago. We've been talking about a lot of stuff that was five or six years ago. So, like, I hope this isn't the case, but right now there's a very clear three-year window, which was the three years right before he came to Minnesota, his age 27, 28, and 29 seasons, where Rudy was very much in his prime, blocking shots at a crazy high clip, rebounded at a crazy high clip, finishing at the rim at a crazy high clip. All those things went away last year. I shouldn't say went away. Reduced to much more pedestrian levels, more human levels. Rudy was off the charts in all these different categories for three seasons in Utah. I am deathly afraid that last year, age 30, was kind of the beginning of the downhill slope for him combined with his first year in Minnesota, which is why, and this isn't like, a very specific prediction. So I guess, forgive me for it sounding very hazy, but I think this season will be better than last year for Rudy. I think in general, he'll probably score a little more. I think the percentage will bounce back. I think the rebounding will be better, but I don't think we're going to see 2021 or 2020 Rudy Gobert again. I'm just worried we're not. I don't think he's going to like fall off a cliff because he didn't last year either. He was still effective but he just wasn't in the same realm as he had been previously. So I worry, I feel like it's going to be somewhere in between what we saw two years ago in Utah and last year in Minnesota in terms of overall production uh, from Rudy this season. All right, I want to close the show by talking uh, schemes, by talking on-off, by talking how the Wolves' defense was absolutely better with Rudy on the floor. The offense was just worse. What that might mean for Wolves' lineups this upcoming season with both Cat and Rudy, and that's how we'll close the show here today. All right, putting a bow on the Rudy Gobert conversation, uh, I, taking a look at what Rudy did on the floor versus, or what the Wolves did, I should say, when Rudy was on the floor versus what they did with him off the floor, uh, they were better with Rudy Gobert on the floor, and it's because the defense was that much better, right? Rudy and Cat together um, were better than just Rudy or just Cat. The overall results of having both of them on the floor together were still overwhelmingly positive. Uh, they're, they're, and the numbers back that up entirely. So for instance, if we look at last year's on-court numbers with, with both Rudy and Carl Anthony Towns on the floor together, there were two lineups with both of them on the floor together that played more than 100 possessions. Of course, one was the starting lineup at the beginning of the year with D'Angelo Russell. The other was the starting lineup at the end of the year with Mike Conley. And both, of course, have Edwards and Jade McDaniels in them. Overall, um, each of those lineups were, well, the, the Russell lineup was a plus 5.4. 
in 541 possessions. The Conley lineup in just 156 possessions was a plus 5.8 overall. Including all lineups, not just the two most used lineups with the two of those guys on the floor together, the team was a plus 0.9. So barely positive, but still positive. Rudy on the floor without Cat was a plus 0.2. So worse when it's just Rudy and no Cat. And and same deal when it was Cat, no Rudy. In fact, let me pull the exact number here. But um, same idea, right? It's because they're both really good players and they just have to figure out how to play together. And that's obviously oversimplifying things. Um, but that's that's... That's what this is, right? That's the whole reason the Wolves acquired Rudy Gobert. They knew, Tim Connolly knew that, hey, I'm going to try and zag while everybody else is zigging, right? While everybody else is playing small, I'm going to try and play big. But the name of the game is getting as many stars and superstars as you possibly can. And in that small sample of 28, 29 games together last season in the regular season, the team was still good with them on the court. It just wasn't nearly as good to justify the move that was made to acquire Rudy Gobert. That's that's the, the crux of the whole issue. So what changes this season? What changes in the 23-24 season for the Wolves? I think the answer is I, Chris Fitch is going to stagger Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert's minutes more. And it's very hard to tell what that's going to look like based on the preseason simply because, well, so far we're only two games in it in Abu Dhabi. It was all about getting these stars on the floor, having them play a bunch, and then sitting them in the second half, essentially. Um, so it's hard to say what this is going to look like exactly, but my hunch is... We're going to see these guys start the first and third quarters, play six to eight minutes max together, probably six or seven minutes together. And then we might see them close games together, depending on matchups and, and you know, maybe play some in the fourth quarter together. But very likely, we're not going to see more than, call it 14 minutes a game of Rudy and Kat playing together. I just, I just think that in the interest of keeping them both healthy and inevitably one or both is going to be in foul trouble frequently, well, they both will frequently, hopefully not at the same time. And you have Nas Reed, who you just extended for three years and a bunch of money. Um, I think it's very likely that we see these guys staggered much more. We see Nas play a bunch of minutes off the bench, and we see Kyle Anderson play some more at the four, like he did last year, where he's much more comfortable. We talked about that in the in the slow-mo uh, season preview last week. Uh, now, to be clear... I still have some concerns related to Nas's role and how many minutes he's going to play. I, I think that Chris Finch wants him on the floor as much as possible. And that's probably part of the reason for certainly why they extended him, but also the idea behind staggering Kat and Rudy a bit more. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see what this game flow looks like. The substitution pattern looks like for Carl Thady Towns. But I think we're going to see like Rudy leave the floor, Kat move to the five, Nas at the four. We're going to see a lot more blitzes on the perimeter with Kat and potentially even Nas. The Wolves didn't do that a whole lot with Nas Reed a couple of years ago when they had Vanderbilt and Patrick Beverly and they played that coverage more, as I alluded to earlier. But I think we're going to see a much more aggressive on the perimeter's defense to try and uh, force more turnovers. You look at Rudy Gobert's defensive numbers, the Wolves were phenomenal with with Gobert on the floor last season. Um, in fact, with both Rudy and Kat on the floor, as I talked about a minute ago, the defensive numbers were still off the charts. And um, and then if you look at the, the, the one defensive number that wasn't was turnover rate with Rudy on the floor. So overall, with both Kat and Rudy on the floor, the Timberwolves were in the 98th percentile in terms of five-man lineups. That that starting lineup that included D'Lo and then, and then the one that included Mike Conley 
Well, let me rephrase that. Overall, as a team, in about 1,100 possessions with Towns and Gobert on the floor together, they were 98th percentile, allowing just 106.6 points per 100 possessions. Uh, Really good opponent effective field goal percentage, 95th percentile. The D'Lo starting lineup was 86th percentile in points per 100 possessions. The Conley lineup was 93rd percentile in points per 100 possessions. You look at Rudy as a whole, when he was on the floor, the team's de- his impact wasn't as great as it was in previous years in Utah. So like 91st percentile in points per 100 possessions. The last time he was below 91st percentile, or actually really below 95th percentile, was 2018-19, five years ago, as we've talked about in other areas. The one stat where he really struggled last year, or where the team's defense really struggled with Rudy on the floor, was forcing turnovers. Um, in fact, the Timberwolves forced turnovers at a three, almost a 3% lower rate with Rudy on the floor than with him off the floor. So those lineups were third percentile in terms of forcing turnovers. What did the team do really well in 21-22 with Jared Vanderbilt, Patrick Beverly, um, obviously Torian Prince on that team, among others? They forced turnovers. That was a bit of a smoke and mirrors defense. It was, you know, they committed a lot of fouls. They gave up a lot of threes, but they forced turnovers. And they also didn't rebound the ball well, but they forced turnovers. They grabbed steals. They grabbed blocks. They got after things defensively. And it was a bit of smoke and mirrors because once teams figured out what they were doing and the well-coached teams really could exploit that, of course, Memphis did in the playoffs, but even late in the regular season, we saw that defense falter. Then last year, it flipped to almost an exclusive not exclusively, but when Rudy was on the floor, pretty much an exclusively drop team. And with Cat injured, the Wolves didn't try and do too much different with Nas Reed. They mostly asked him to play either at the level or to drop like they do with Rudy Gobert. So there wasn't a whole lot that changed. But my hunch is this year with the Cat-only lineups, and by Cat-only, I mean probably Cat and Nas, maybe Cat and Slomo in the front court with Rudy on the bench, I think we're going to see more blitzing. I think we're going to see more playing at the very least at the level and maybe hedging harder on the perimeter to try and be more aggressive in forced turnovers to bring that opponent turnover rate up and take this defense from the 10th best in the league to a top five defense. And when Rudy's on the floor, you can do all the same things that Rudy likes to do. You can play drop. You can have Jaden McDaniels fight through screens on the perimeter, navigate ball screens uh, you know, better than anybody else in the league. Ask Mike Conley to do his thing defensively. Ask Anthony Edwards to lock down opposing uh, scoring wings, uh, dynamic scorers on, on, on opposing offenses, and have Rudy patrol the back line, get blocks, grab rebounds, etc. But I think this can be two different defensive, as long as everybody else can know their role and do the right things. I think Chris Finch having an approach where there's effectively two different defenses depending on who's playing center, that's the right approach for this team. And Rudy can be a big part of that. Uh, The Wolves can increase that opponent turnover rate if they do some of these things with Rudy off the floor. But with him on the floor, do the tried and true stuff that Rudy's super good at. Uh, Just switch up the pick and roll coverages. And of course, Jaden McDaniels is going to cover a multitude of sins uh, by fighting through screens and doing his thing both on and off the ball. So if McDaniels can stay out of foul trouble and be his consistent self, which he kind of underscored last year that he was going to be consistent as a perimeter defender, um, and if Ant continues to grow, especially as an off-ball defender, then really this defense should be a top-five unit league-wide. And Rudy, just simply, as I alluded to earlier, just needs to be a little bit better on the glass, block a few more shots, which I think that there was a bit of a uh, that was a bit of a fluky low block rate last year for Rudy under four percent. That's going to come up a little. The rebounds will come up a little, and this team will be just fine defensively. Rudy will see his overall performance improve as well, uh, and of course, he's very likely got two more years after this one in a Timberwolves uniform. 
and I talked about this in the first segment, Tim Connolly is going to have decisions to make either at the deadline and or next summer in terms of assuming the Jaden McDaniels extension gets done in the next couple of weeks, which by the way, we talked about that on the um, the Lockdown Minnesota Basketball Party, which is on this feed, actually the last episode on this feed, if you're listening to audio, if you're on YouTube, hop over to the Lockdown Sports Minnesota YouTube channel and a uh, conversation that we had uh, with Jack Borman from Canis Hoopas and um, Reggie Wilson of Care 11 and Ron Johnson of the Lockdown Sports Minnesota and Ron Johnson show. We talked about the Jane McDaniels extension and we all kind of agreed it's very likely to get done um, and probably in the next couple of weeks. And if that's the case, this decision, uh, Rudy's part of this, right? Rudy's performance this year will help influence Tim Connolly if he's going to take what could be pennies on the dollar for Rudy or what might be a little less than what the Wolves should get for somebody of Carl Anthony Towns caliber if they have to take something a little bit less than that with Cat just to keep, or for Cat, in order to keep Jaden and Anthony Edwards on this team. So it's a separate conversation, but it's definitely related to Rudy's performance this year. Um, in short, I'll summarize this with what I said earlier. I think Rudy has a better year, year this season than he did in his first season in Minnesota. I don't think he gets back to All-NBA. He may make an All-NBA team, uh, but I don't think his true level of production and defensive impact will quite be this year what it was a couple of years ago in his last season in Utah. I'm just afraid that we're past that point with Rudy. It doesn't mean he can't still be a positive contributor to a high 40s, 50 win team that competes for a four or five seed in the West. That's absolutely still on the table. I just think we need to be realistic about our expectations for what Rudy can provide this year. All right, that's all we have for you today on the show. Of course, we'll be back on Friday. We'll be previewing Carl Anthony Towns' season. We'll also touch on Wolves, uh, I almost said Wolves Mavs, Wolves Knicks on Saturday from Madison Square Garden. That's all upcoming on Friday's show. A big thank you to those that do make Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, this show is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, you can find Lockdown Wolves. You can also watch on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV and follow on X at B Beacon and at Locked on T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. All right, that's all we have for you today. Of course, the Lockdown Wolves podcast is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Lockdown Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.